Thank you, Hayes. Thank you, team. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Well, good morning again, church. I'm glad that you're here and that we get to continue our worship together today. Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we're going to be this morning because we're continuing to talk about a season of renewal. Uh, I had not originally intended to really talk and explore this as much as we have, but honestly, this month has not rolled out as we all had anticipated. And so we're kind of responding to what is happening, and I think it's important for us to continue to dive deeper into what does it mean for the Lord to bring a renewal to us as individuals, to us as a congregation, the restoration and transformation that we also desperately need. Psalm 23 is where we're going to be in just a second. Psalm, middle of your Bible, uh, Psalm 23 is where we'll be in a moment. While you are turning there, let's all do something together. Uh, I want you to uh, grab a deep breath and hold it for a second. We're all going to do this at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. Draw in. Ready? ready. <gasps> hold it. Hold it. Hold it. And now exhale. <sighs> that felt good, didn't it? I mean, that's a good thing to do. I mean, when you're kind of, you know, stressed out or whatever, that's always a good thing. People tell you that. Just, hey, man, take a deep breath. And just kind of let that go. And the inhale's okay, but really it's that exhale. That's like the good feeling, right? It's like, whew, okay, all right, right? And I want you to think about that feeling for just a second, that exhale. Just that feeling that you get, kind of the release of that. And kind of like, all right, I can kind of let things down. Uh, Here's the question for this morning. What is it in your life that gives you that feeling? Because I would be willing to bet that most of us don't just do breathing exercises all the time, but, but you have something that helps you exhale. Uh, a moment, an activity, a ritual, a thing. There's something that helps you just go at the end of the day. Maybe it's, a, it's just coming home and kicking your shoes off. Maybe it's going in and getting in the backyard. Maybe it's just getting out into nature. Maybe it's, it's just, hey, I'm gonna listen to this music or hey, I'm just gonna get in my car and drive around for a little bit just so I can kind of decompress a little bit. I'm kind of partial to ice cream. That helps me a lot. I, I, I don't know what yours is, but we all got something, right? Something that just says, okay. I I, I can just kind of breathe a little bit deeper, and and we need that, do we not? Because at different periods of our lives, the stress is going to pile up, and you're going to need that release, and and we are all still, sadly, in that season, are we not? We've been trying to walk through this whole pandemic, but over the course of the past month, as we watched the Delta variant spike, and, and all the different implications of that, and all the ripple effects as it ripples through families that we know, and circumstances that we know, we find ourselves fearful again. We're afraid, okay, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect my loved ones? How is this going to affect my job? How is this going to affect my future? Will they go back to virtual learning at school? I mean, you're just, we're all worried about this and the stress just begins to kind of build up. The fear begins to, well, honestly, it just kind of frays our souls at the edges. We find ourselves in a place where, where we're just kind of Afraid, we're tattered, and our souls are weary, and what we need is restoration. Our souls need periodic restoration, and how do we get that? Because we will find it somehow, some way. We will go after that. The, the trick is, is that only some of those things will actually bring true restoration. Most will not. But for everyone here, there is restoration for your soul to be found. And that's why we find ourselves in Psalm chapter 23 today. 
Psalm 23 is one of, if not the most famous psalm in the Psalter. Even if you have not memorized a ton of scripture, I bet there's a couple verses out of Psalm 23 that you'll just be able to rattle off without thinking. We hear this often at funerals, uh, but we hear it in other places as well. It's just a very famous psalm in our culture. But let's listen to the words here, and you can read along there. Maybe you've memorized some of these. In fact, I would encourage you to memorize this psalm. But listen to what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know what those verses do for you. I don't know what they conjure up. I don't know what images they're attached to, but David is pointing us in the direction of where true, spiritual, actual soul restoration can be found. And even though this is a very familiar psalm, it's important for us to kind of dive in, to really kind of think about the actual words and what he is saying, not just those images that get conjured up or the, or the places we've heard this in the past. What is he saying to us today through this psalm of comfort? David here depicts himself as a sheep in the care of a shepherd. Now that's an interesting thing for him to do. It would have been a metaphor very close at hand. We know that David had grown up being a shepherd, so he knew all about shepherding. But you would think that he would also think about himself as a shepherd. We don't know when David wrote this. We know a lot about David's life, and a lot of people think this was written later in his life, but it could have been earlier. Nobody really knows, but I think here's what we can say for sure. Even early on in his life, David was a strong and brave leader of men. Even if this was at one of the earliest points in his life, here's what we can know about David at this point. He is no shrinking violin. This is a David who's fought off a lion, who's fought off a bear, who's fought off Goliath. This is a man who stands up in the midst of unbelievable fears and puts his trust in the Lord. He has led men on multiple occasions. If this is David later in his life, then he has been in more battles than you and I will ever even possibly be in in our life and has watched God deliver him. He knows what it is to be a shepherd. He knows what it is to be brave. He knows what it is to lead. And yet, when he writes this psalm, he depicts himself as a sheep. Vulnerable defenseless, and needing to be led. Though he himself is a leader, he recognizes that he too needs to be led, that he cannot conquer all, that only through his shepherd is he truly safe. And there's reasons he does this. As you walk back down through this psalm, there's reasons that David is not going to turn to himself. He's going to turn to the Lord in his time of need. Look at what we learn about his shepherd here. 
His shepherd, verse 1, makes sure that he doesn't have any needs in his life. He fully provides him for them. He leads them to make, makes him lie down in green pastures and beside still waters. He provides them a, a, a wonderful environment in which to live. Verse 3, he just says it plainly. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I don't have to fear. Why? Because he's with me. He's powerful. He's got a rod and a staff that are strong enough to comfort me. Verse five, he prepares a table for me even in the presence of my enemies. My head is anointed. My cup overflows. There's that overwhelming provision. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I get to dwell with my shepherd forever. By all accounts, this is a good shepherd. This is a shepherd worth trusting. His God is not merely some idea or system of belief He is a good shepherd and David, understanding his own frailty, entrusts himself to this very good shepherd. And here's the good news for us this morning. That's your shepherd too. That's our shepherd. You see, this isn't just kind of poetry. It might be fun to kind of just think about or, or just kind of contemplate. He says, no, the same God that David is praying to is the same God that we worship this morning. He's the very same shepherd, so much so that Jesus himself will confirm it. He will use this very metaphor in describing himself. Look at John chapter 10 and listen to what Jesus himself will say. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus would have been firmly aware of Psalm 23. It was well known then just as much as it is in our culture today. He knows what he's referencing. And he's saying, this is now no metaphor. He goes, this is actually who I am. I am that good shepherd. I do all of those things that David said I could do. And he's not doing that just for David, but he's speaking now to us. Jesus Christ speaks to us and says, I am your good shepherd. I can restore your soul. I can lead you beside still waters and in green pastures. I do have a rod and staff that are strong enough to save you, to take care of you. I am the good shepherd who loves you so much so that I'll even lay my very life down for you. I put myself in between you and the danger. When sin and death come calling for you, it is Jesus Christ who interposes himself and literally gives his life to save us, his sheep. How can your soul be restored today? Because you have a good shepherd. There is a very good shepherd who loves you and cares for you right now, today, in 2021. There is a good shepherd who can restore your soul. But uh, another question we can ask this morning, though, is, is, is he your shepherd? Is Jesus Christ your shepherd? That's a very important question. Now, the question isn't, is he the good shepherd? That's not in doubt. That is true whether you want to believe it or not. It's true whether you experience it or not. He is the good shepherd. Jesus has already declared as such. He is the good shepherd, but the bare fact of him being the good shepherd doesn't actually restore us. 
Restoration occurs not in understanding the fact of who God is. Restoration occurs in a relationship with a good shepherd. You have to know him. You can actually see that in the tenses of of the verses. Look here in verses 1 through 3. David starts off just by talking about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's just describing the Lord. But look at verse four. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. He starts off just talking about the Lord, but it's almost like just nature takes over. He, he has such a relationship with his Savior that he, he can't bear somebody to talk about him. He just kind of instinctively just begins to talk to him. He says, you are my shepherd. You take care of me. You protect me. He, he's just, he has a relationship with him. It's the most natural thing in the world for David, not simply to declare the praises, but to interact with his shepherd because there's an actual relationship. I think this is where some of us get tripped up. For many of us here in the room, if you made time to, to get up and, and watch this on a live stream or you're here in the morning, I would be willing to bet that most of us here have a very firm belief that Jesus is the good shepherd. We have a rock solid belief and that that is who he is. But sometimes we wrestle with actually feeling that restoration. We wrestle with actually encountering and enjoying him. And could it be that we actually believe that he is that good shepherd, but we're not letting him be our shepherd? I mean, think about it. Do we let him lead us? Is he the one who guides us? Do we look to him to guide us in all the things that we do? Or do we just basically figure out our own path on our own? When we need provision, do we say, God, will you provide for me? Or do we say, nope, I'll scrounge up something for myself and I'll make this work out for me. When we feel fearful and we need protection, do we look to the Lord for protection? Do we trust him for protection? Or do we frantically run around trying to protect ourselves from any and everything possible? And when we need restoration, do we look to the Lord for that restoration? Or do we run around to some other substance, some other person, some other activity and say, nope, I'll restore myself? I will do this on my own. If you don't have a shepherd, it's all up to you. If you're the shepherd, it's all up to you. We know that he is the good shepherd, but is he your shepherd? Which begs an even deeper question then, who is your shepherd? Who's the shepherd in your life? Who's the shepherd in our lives? Because somebody is shepherding us. We all understand that we don't get it all right. We don't have all the answers. We will look to someone, something to help us. Sooner or later, that will occur. Where do we run? Who is our shepherd? When you need answers, when, when you need stability, when you need courage, when you need help, who do we turn to? Where do we go to to, to work things out to make sure that we can feel okay to walk through the rest of our days? And that's where you'll find your shepherd. For some of us, the shepherd is us. No one tells me what to do. No one influences me. I make the rules. I decide nobody tells me anything. Nobody can make me do anything. I will do what I want to do at all points possible. I am doing this. And we try to pretend that we are the shepherds. But dig down a little deeper, you'll find other shepherds too. Here's the sad reality for many of us. There's a ton of us who get shepherded by our phones most days. That's who shepherds us. 
Because when we need information, when we need to understand things, we just sit there and we're just, we're just, just going, 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 going. I got to know what's going on. I got to be in the know. I got to understand all these different things. I got to see it all. I got to understand it all. I got to hear everybody. I got to know what's going on. Social media is shepherding us. Try that nightmarish thought on for size. Because it's true for many of us, that, that's where we run to. What's happening? Who's saying what? What's going on here? I dare you to do this. I dare you. You won't. I dare you. I dare you to just count up how many hours we spent on the internet and social media versus the amount of time that we actually spend abiding and praying and interacting with the Lord. It won't even be close. It doesn't even have to be one-to-one. It won't even be in the ballpark, which is why we won't do the experiment because we already know that. We won't even try, but here's the sad reality. It's shepherding our souls. It leads us into different places. It guides us into different places, but it's not actually bringing restoration. For others of us, we're getting shepherded by cable news. Did you know that? That's your shepherd. If cable news is on in every home of your house, seven hours a day, here's what you should understand. It's shepherding your soul. It does things to us. I don't even care which channel you're watching. It shepherds us. It can't help but. We devote hours upon hours to listening to other people, looking at all the things, and it shapes our very reality until we find ourselves in a place that's not still waters and green pastures, but it comes up in a different place. Who's shepherding your soul? Who's guiding us? Who do we run to when our souls need restoration? And P.S., that's how you can find out a bad shepherd, by the way. The internet is a terrible shepherd. Cable news is a terrible shepherd. Our phones are horrible shepherds. You know how you see a horrible shepherd? What does it do to your soul? Does it lead to restoration or does it lead to fear? Does your shepherd lead you to a place where you feel more confident, where you feel more secure, where you can have that exhale moment, that Or do you find yourself geared up even more? Do you find yourself stirred up even more? See, that's what bad shepherds do. Bad shepherds point out all the wolves and then they don't actually help you deal with them. There's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. That's not actually a wolf, that's a cardboard cutout, but I put it over there so I could point it out to you. There's a wolf and there's a bunch of wolves, but, but we're not actually gonna do anything to help you with it. Okay, that, that doesn't bring restoration to my soul. And the Lord is saying, listen, I, I, I'm the good shepherd for you. I actually lead you to a place where I can help you overcome this. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He says, no, I can anoint your head with oil. Your cup can overflow. You can sit down at a table in the presence of your enemies. (laughs) You can have a restored soul. When you and I come to the good shepherd, we actually find peace in the midst of strife. We find calm in the midst of chaos. He says, that's what a good shepherd does. He guides us and he leads us into the place where we can actually experience joy and life. Who shepherds you? Who do we turn to? And could it be that we haven't actually been turning to the good shepherd of our souls? But, but here's something interesting. And you say, well, I, I, I tried that, but it doesn't fix all the problems. And I just thought if I, if I followed the Lord, then it would, it would fix everything, but it didn't fix everything. So I got to have the Lord, and that's really good, but I got to have the Lord and these other things. So I, I know everything, and nothing can, can attack me, and nothing will, will, will bother me, because I just thought that if I followed the Lord, then that would just make everything turn out right. And it didn't. So I must need something else, right? Actually, no. 
Look at verse 5. This is an interesting verse. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've read through this over the course of my life. And the Lord has really just kind of brought this one to the surface this week. But look what he says. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Let that sink in for just a second. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. David's actually mixing his metaphors here. So he's been talking about sheep and shepherds, and now mid-psalm, he kind of shifts to a banqueting hall. And the Lord now is not a shepherd. The Lord is a host. He says, you prepare a table for me. Sheep don't come to table. All right, so you prepare a table for me. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. That's what would happen if you went to dinner in the ancient Near East. You would have your head anointed as you came in. It was very refreshing. I said, okay. And then you would sit down and your cup would overflow. Your cup would never run dry. You'd never rattle your glass and say, hey, can I have some more? It would always be filled. There would just be a bounteous feast in front of you. That's what the Lord provides for us. But look at that first verse. He says, you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The enemies haven't gone away. The enemies are still there. The problems are still present. The Lord never promised that if we followed after him, that the problems would just magically disappear. That if I followed after the Lord, that we would not encounter hardship in this life. That if we simply do the right things and we follow after him, then everything goes right and I get to avoid all pain in my journey. He doesn't say any of that. He he simply says, no, I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He said, well, how is that comforting? Adam, what I really want is I want him to to fix it. I want him to to change it. I want him to make him go away. But in this life, that's just not going to happen. We live in a sin-soaked world. It is broken and marred by by sin and death. God is in the process of of saving us, but, but that kind of life doesn't happen until he comes again when all evil is eradicated. But in the meantime, we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That does not simply describe the season right before our physical death. We'll walk through that valley multiple times in our life. And yes, we will find ourselves seated at the table of the Lord, but we will still be in the presence of our enemies. He can give you peace even if the problems haven't gone away. He can give us peace even when there's still pain in our existence. You say, how how is that possible? How can that possibly be true? Because Jesus is the only one who actually can tame all of the evil and the enemies of this world. He is the only one strong enough to give us confidence that when we come into his house, when you come to his table, yeah, there may be chaos raging outside, but at his table, you can, because nothing's getting in here. Nobody overcomes him. Nobody bangs down his door. Nobody blows his house down. Nobody can overcome him. He has triumphed over all of the evil forces of this world. He has disarmed them by the power of the cross. He says, there is not a power in all of creation that can snatch you out of my hand. If we find ourselves led by the good shepherd, there is no evil that can come and steal us away from him. We can wander off, and we often do, but nobody steals you from this shepherd. That's why when we come to his table, even in the midst of chaos, even when pain is still present, I can still find a restoration of my soul in the midst of these things because he is the good shepherd 
even in the presence of my enemies. Now, let's talk about enemies for a second. Who are our enemies? Because when I say the word enemies, or specifically your enemies, things immediately pop to mind, do they not? Let's be honest, people pop to mind, do they not? Groups come to mind, and we think, oh, that's my enemy. Those people are my enemy. They are my enemy. And they're not. It's not your enemy. We need to go back to something that we learned back in the Spiritual Warfare series. If you've been here with us for a while, back in February and March, we did a series called The Good Fight, where we learned about spiritual warfare. And Paul taught us something important in Ephesians chapter 6. Look what he says, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now Paul, just like David, absolutely knew what it was like to deal with humans who opposed him. He, he had been beaten in danger for his life, just like David. And yet, hear what he says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. The spiritual enemies, those are the ones we actually have to worry about. But our fight is not with people. Now, we said this months ago, and we didn't believe it then, and we didn't believe it in the middle of that, and we probably don't mean it now, so let's just say it out loud and try to believe it, okay? Our fight is not with people. Say it with me. Our fight is not with people. Now, you still don't believe it, so let's say it again. Our fight is not with people. Please continue to say this to yourself for the rest of your life, okay? We have to because we naturally go, no, they're the wrong, they're the wrong, they're, they're after me, they're gonna do this thing. Hey, listen, <laughs> those people can't steal your souls. Th- those people can't snatch you out of the hand of the Lord. The fight that you and, a fight is a, you and I fight is a spiritual battle and the Lord's already won it. He's already literally conquered every single one of these powers, supernatural powers that are so so far beyond us, we can't even comprehend. We don't even understand them. And God says, you don't have to. Don't worry about them. I've already beaten them all. I have triumphed over them by the cross. I have disarmed them. I have literally put them to open shame in front of the universe. My cross, my death and resurrection have been enough to make them quiet to put them away. So put your trust in me. When you and I understand that that is the fight that we're in, that's the real battle that we're in, and Jesus has already won it. He is the good shepherd. You can actually have peace for your souls. See, here's the weird part. We keep worrying about the wrong things. We're super fearful all the time, and we're fearful about the wrong battles. Yeah, but Adam, what about them? Yeah, what, what about them? I, if we don't do this, that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Do you know how many times we have been lied to over the course of our lives of people telling, if you don't do this, the world will end? And last time I checked, we're still here. How many times were we told this? We get so fearful about weird things. I used to see this book uh, series. It, it was real popular for a while. It probably still is. But it was like, uh, it was basically how to survive. It was like how to survive a bear attack, how to survive a plane crash, okay? Anybody read these? Do you have the whole series? Did you memorize them? Anybody? Super popular, like, oh, I got to know, man. I got to know how to survive a bear attack, right? I got to know how to survive a plane crash. And we're like, going, Adam, you, never, you never know. You need this information. No, you don't. Here's the thing. Your odds of being killed in a bear attack, one in two million. 
Two million. What about flying on planes? I've been going, I have a plane crash. I checked this recently. Here's the deal. Your odds of dying in a commercial flight, those tiny planes, you're on your own. But I'm talking about commercial flight. Your odds of dying on a commercial flight today in this day and age are one in 30 million. That's your odds of dying in a plane crash. We're reading books. What's going on? Do you know what your odds of of being in a spiritual attack today? 100%. But we ain't worried about that. Where are the bears? Watch out for that plane. Dude, it's coming to get us. Didn't you hear on the news? I mean, we're all worried about these things that probably aren't even going to happen. And we're missing the thing that's right in front of us. Jesus says, let me tell you who your real enemies are. You have a spiritual enemy whose desire it is to pull you away from Jesus Christ, to make you feed on fear instead of living in the security of your good shepherd. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's doing that today. That's a lion you will have to face. But praise be to God, you have a good shepherd who takes care of lions, who's already defanged them. Will we turn to him for restoration? Will we turn to him for comfort instead of to the phone, instead of to the news, instead of to to whatever substance we use to deaden our senses or the entertainment that just deadens us to things? What, What happens when we turn to the Lord and say, God, I need you for restoration? And to do so, he says, I want you to come to my table Come to my table. I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And that's actually what we're going to do today. In just a few minutes, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. When you came in, you got a communion kit. And we're still in COVID land, and so we're going to use these. There will come a day. We don't have to anymore, but we're still here. But in just a little bit, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. Because you see... After the Lord had prepared a table for David in the, play, in the presence of his enemies, hundreds of years later, Jesus prepared a different table. It was the night before his crucifixion, and he invites all of his disciples together, including one of his enemies, it turned out, and sat them at a table and listened to what he says. This is in, go to the next one if you will. This is in Luke. Um, And he says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew, excuse me. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. So Jesus brings his disciples to a table. He's the good shepherd who tomorrow will lay down his life for his sheep. Sheep that cannot save themselves. Good though they may be, brave though they may be. They cannot defeat sin. They cannot defeat death. They will lose everything. And so Jesus brings them to a table and says, let me give you me. And I'm going to give you my body, and I'm going to give you my blood, and they're literally going to be poured out so that you can have eternal life. In the presence of those enemies of sin and death, Jesus brings us to a table and gives us comfort. 
So much so that after his resurrection, where he has proven that he has disarmed all of those powers, he continues to invite us to table, to eat bread, to drink a cup, to be reminded that even in the presence of our enemies, you can have a restoration of your soul. That today, for the pain and the fear and the stress that you and I rightfully feel, there can be a restoration for your soul as we come to his table to have our heads anointed with oil. Our cup overflows until one day, Jesus says, there's going to come a day when we're all going to physically eat at his table. You know that's coming, right? You and I will get to sit together at table with David and Jesus and recognize that we are no longer in the presence of our enemies. That the enemies have been conquered once and for all. That Jesus, the good shepherd, has finally led us to the place where it is only green pastures and still waters to a table where our cup always overflows and our head is always anointed. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not poetry. It is your destiny in Jesus Christ. Who's your shepherd? And do we come to him for that restoration.